This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the last little bit of cricket for a while. Some fans play protect the asset, something Calais Halverson should have done. Surprises and disappointments are plenty in the NBA. And one of us has parenting advice. Who it is might shock you. <laughs> I sure do. It's 7.59 on Thursday, the 30th of November, 2023. Three weeks to the day since we last recorded. Obviously, we released an episode recently too. A massive shout out to Woody V from Throwback Hoops for joining me on episode 173. Check it out if you haven't already. The Eagles got their man at number one, but after a whopping 29 picks in round number one, equalization is on the cards again. Speaking of AFL, Josh Dacos found greener grass at soccer facilities, and I mean that figuratively rather than literally, but uh, maybe he took up the wrong sport. AI continues to cause controversy in sports reporting. We might get to that next week. Meanwhile, Maxi's form seems to have continued over to the all-important T20s, and I say that facetiously because, ah, well... They're a waste of bloody time. <laughs> who needs to celebrate a World Cup? Not some poor students in Kashmir, that's for sure. There are plenty of people in the world of sport who are in hot water for one reason or another. These are just some of the things we'll cover today. And for others, that's as far as we'll go. As I mentioned, some of it might come next week. As always, please check our timestamps. An extra special thank you to those who like and subscribe too. But first things first, you've heard him already. Congratulations on joining the 40 Club, mate. Unfortunately, one to remember for all the wrong reasons, I dare say. Oh, absolutely. And probably one of the worst birthdays I can remember. I'm certainly not one to over-dramatise things, am I, no? Uh, <laughs> no, nah, look, it, it was it was one of these weird ones. Like, I shouldn't complain. I was staying at a five-star hotel an hour and a half south of Perth. But unfortunately, as you mentioned in the last episode, those really horrible bushfires were relatively close to my house, as well as my parents' and my sister's house. So a lot of, well let's just say uneasy hours pacing around, just trying to figure out what we needed to do and whether I needed to come home. Ended up with a pretty nasty head cold as well, which um you can probably hear the the remains of uh, as a result of, I think you also mentioned getting in and out of air conditioned cars and air conditioned hotel rooms and out into 39 degree days. But uh, look, it is what it is. Everyone's safe and sound. It just unfortunately took a little bit of the, uh, the sheen off a bit of a celebration. Yes, indeed. And obviously, again, our hearts go out to anyone that did lose their house or, or anything in that devastation. And oh, hopefully it's only the beginning of summer. Hopefully it's not a bad sign of things to come. You'll see, I guess, burnt out trees, matters of metres away from houses. And you just think, like, what an amazing advertisement that is for the fireys and, and the job that they did managing to protect those homes from yeah, what looked like an absolutely raging inferno. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a, a really scary time for a lot of people. And it's honestly a miracle that only 18 houses were lost, really. Yeah, good point. Hats off to all firefighters. There, there was actually a story, I wish I took note of her name, of a local muso who was in the volunteer firefighters and basically spent a number of days. So yeah, full credit to everyone that, that pitched in to minimise the damage as much as possible. I'll throw you the new ball, Stewie. You haven't been in front of a mic for three weeks now, so it's only fair. Yeah, well, it seems like the opening bounce is going to be pretty big from what we've spoken about. I kind of wanted to start off with this whole Everton saga. I don't know if you've seen much about this, but Everton Football Club, they've been docked 10 premiership points because of a breach of the Premier League's financial rules, or specifically that, quote, clubs are allowed to lose a maximum £105 million. That is just a staggering number. Yeah. Uh, over a three-year period, or they face sanctions. Now, to kind of set the scene, it's it's not like Everton are exactly tearing it up this year. They were four wins, two draws, and seven losses. So even without all of this, they'd still be sitting 15th on the ladder. 
but they'd be nine points above the relegation zone instead of where they currently sit, which is five points away from escaping it. And I'd like to think that they'd be quite fine and good enough to get out of that spot, I guess. But this is a team that's been in the Premier League every year since it started in 92-93, and they've been in the top tier going way back before that as well. What are your thoughts on the punishment? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, like surely losing the money is bad enough, right? It's not like they're trying to fail. It's not like there's draft picks or tanking or anything like that. I mean, the the repercussions for losing in the EPL are pretty strong, aren't they, it's, if you get relegated? So, I don't know. I would have thought not winning as many games as you like would be enough. But I don't know. Maybe there's more to it. Obviously, I'm not a massive soccer fan, so I'm probably missing some key details. But on the surface... There is a little, yeah, there's a little bit more. And it's a really good point you make about the difference between playing in the Premier League and the English Football League Championship, it's about £168.5 million, apparently, is what they've sort of said is the difference. And it's one of these things, like, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to stop teams from just rampantly overspending on players because it kind of creates all of these problems. But what are they expecting in a league where there is no salary cap? I mean, if you're a team that doesn't spend all of that money, what happens? You get left behind. You get basically mired in just being crap for... As long as you really, as long as you want, I mean, there's just, there's no end to it. Unless you're spending billions of dollars like these top teams are, it's very, very hard to compete and be up in the the top parts of those, uh, those ladders. I, I just don't, yeah, I just don't like it. I don't know. I'd like to look more at this, actually. It's very odd. Yeah. I, I'm going to do a bit of research before next week. Mm, yeah, it's just one of those ones. It just doesn't really seem right where you just give people an open slather to just spend as much as you want and all of these players throw millions upon billions of pounds at these players, but then punish a team for overspending. It's like, well, hang on. Like, how is that fair? Very odd. Now, from something serious to something, I don't know, a little bit funnier for me. I'm not a big fan of streaking, but I saw this thing on YouTube shorts today, which I thought was kind of funny. It's a game that some people have started playing in the States called Protect the Asset. So basically what you've got is a streaker and he's flanked by four guys dressed up as bodyguards and they have to stop the streaker from being tackled by security for 90 (laughs) seconds. I like it. It's an interesting sort of uh, play on that. I I still wouldn't want to see this in a major game, like a Super Bowl or I don't know, a World Series final, but in isolation, I did think it was kind of funny. The fines are pretty heavy. So if you're finding five people instead of one, I think the the disincentive is there. We've talked about people who pass the hat around with their mates so that they can share the load of the fine. I don't think people are passing the hat around for five different fines. No, probably not. Now, Nath, I believe you've got some NFL. Yeah, well, I I kind of uh, grouped mine into the good, the bad and the ugly, actually. So I'll, I'll kick off with some NFL in the good. Jalen Carter nearly intercepted a Patrick Mahomes spike in the Chiefs versus Eagles game. He'd seen a high school kid successfully pull it off. And I tell you what, he wasn't far off himself. It might be only a matter of time that we see this happen in an NFL game. And that would be absolutely crazy. Oh, just the thought of it. Because you see how basically as soon as a spike is is kind of indicated, the defense really kind of relaxes a little bit. We have seen plays where teams have kind of faked the spike and then thrown for a touchdown. But the game is always evolving. And, and that is, yeah, just a, a really, really interesting little wrinkle to add in. Um, I did want to get your thoughts as well on the, the NFL as well. The Miami Dolphins-New York Jets game. I don't know if you saw Tim Boyle threw this Hail Mary at the end of the first half and Javon Holland picked it off and ran 99 yards the other direction for a touchdown. It kind of sums up the Jets season a bit. 
Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, no Aaron Rodgers. And uh, they're on to their, what, third or fourth string quarterback. So, yeah. There's beginning to be a school of thought that Miami might be flat track bullies, though. So some people are questioning their contender status. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on, too, I think. Interesting. Interesting. What's next? Well, one more good. We spoke about Jake Fraser Berserk the other week. Victorian Sam Harper has said, hold my beer in smashing the third fastest Sheffield Shield ton of 64 balls behind only David Hooks's 35 ball ton and Luke Ronke's 51 baller. Ronk the tonk. That is, that is absolutely incredible. There, there was something, look, I can't remember. I saw something about somebody being given out. I think it might've been Harper in possibly the same match who was, yeah, got caught behind, clearly missed the ball and a very sheepish uh, wicketkeeper basically came forward and said, hey, don't think he's actually hit that. Let's made rescind uh, appeal there. Um, so good to see some great sportsmanship. Yeah, I'm thinking about that one more. I actually think that the Victorians were kind of screwed with a uh, decision earlier. Um, Pete Hanscom it was. And I think it was actually the Victorians that withdrew the appeal. So I think they, they've they copped it both ways there. <laughs> Rather than kind of evening the ledger, I think they were the bigger people now from memory. But we might have to, yeah, look at that one. Yeah, no, definitely it was. It definitely was Fraser McGurk. But uh, yeah, geez. Uh, there's some crazy stuff going on in the shield. There was 24 wickets in a day today in New South Wales. And there was a, you said there was another 16 in that particular day. There's, there's a lot going on. It was, yeah. Ish. I think it was 14 or yeah, there was a shitload in one day. We will get to a little bit of cricket at the end as always checks timestamps, as we say, moving on from the good to the bad rest in peace, Teddy Hopkins. Now he did have a decent knock, but still very sad. He was not only the super sub in the 1970 AFL grand final where he kicked four second half goals, but also the founder of champion data. And of course we talked about both of those things in great detail in episode 114, great sport chokes five. So we encourage people to check that out, but very sad to see a legend of the game. Well, a legend in, I guess in some ways, uh, not just on field, but a really important figure in, in AFL history. So sad to see him go. Oh, it absolutely goes down in folklore as far as, yeah, that particular game. I mean, that's, probably one of the best halves of footy you could possibly hope for, especially given the circumstances. Yeah, quite remarkable. The four games on YouTube too. It's worth a watch. Another bad, a member of security tried to stop Matt Lafleur as he ran across the field at the end of the first half. For those people that don't know, it's Green Bay Packers coach Matt Lafleur in their upset win over Detroit on Thanksgiving. And I guess it was a bit reminiscent of Patrick Ewing not being let into Madison Square Garden that time. And he was like, uh, my jersey's hanging in the rafters. You'd think the security team would know who the bloody coaches are. But also slight difference with Patrick Ewing. I mean, he's a seven foot tall African-American man. Like he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, you could probably imagine that they should know who the head coach is, especially, was it a home game? Do you know? Oh, good question. I can't remember if I'm honest. Yeah. But still, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely hideous, isn't it? It is It is hideous. You're right. I think the Patrick Ewing one's worse because he's had his jersey retired. But uh, yeah, LaFleur's been around for a while. So he's been their coach for a little while now. So yeah, bit bit uh, bit dodgy. And my final bad for the good, the bad and the ugly was, well, the general sentiment about FIFA's intention to expand the VAR powers to free kicks, corners and second yellows seems to be bad due to the delays it'll cause in games or the further delays. And we know that VAR is a real sticking point. They don't even get it right half the time. So I don't know what the point is, really. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. Now, Nathan, before you move on to the ugly, I did just have one more that I did want to talk about. I don't know if you saw this. There was a Florida Panthers-Ottawa Senators game fairly recently. 
And look, I've seen some brawls before. We're getting towards the end of the third period in this one, and there was a little bit of a dust-up, not even really punches thrown. It was just a, a whole bunch of pushing and shoving for a couple of minutes. Honestly, I think the most exciting part of it was them flashing up to a very disapproving-looking old lady in the stands, who I think was actually one of the mums of the players. But it, it kind of calmed down after a couple of minutes. The umpires are going through all of the, the various penalties, and then he gives everyone on the ice 10 minutes for misconduct with seven minutes, 22 left in the game. So basically anyone who was on the ice was pretty much ejected. Bizarre. I'm going to need to look at that one too. I did not hear about that one. Bloody hell. Mm. Talk about a power play by the umpire. Oh, <laughs> God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's just such a weird one though, you know, seeing pretty much empty benches. Yeah, okay. At least they had players to still field the final 10 minutes or seven minutes. So that's something I guess. Yeah. Now, I guess my ugly pun is probably a perfect segue into the ugly. Well, unfortunately, these are really ugly, if I'm honest. Uh, and I will finish with a bit of levity, which is also ugly, but not nearly as ugly as these first three. So we've had a number of athletes in trouble with the law at various stages of the process. And we might talk about it more in the NBA, too, with uh, some level of watching what we say. But former silver medalist in swimming at the Asian Para Games, Chaturong Suksuk killed his wife, her mum, and one other at his own wedding on the weekend. Former Major League Baseball pitcher Dan Serafini, who played for six different teams over approximately a decade, has been charged with murdering his father-in-law. And former WWE wrestler Tammy Sonny Sitch was sentenced to 17 years for what the Yankees call vehicular manslaughter after her actions resulted in the death of a 75-year-old man. She was 3.5 times over the legal limit for blood alcohol levels. Mm. I, I didn't see the first two. I definitely saw the last one, though. That's, yeah, not not particularly great week. Um, did also see another one, not quite as serious, but uh, Big Baby Davis and Will Bynum former NBA players were convicted uh, by a New York jury for defrauding an insurance plan for NBA players and their families for more than $5 million. So not particularly good for them either. Oh yeah. There was someone else who was involved in that. So that's uh, opened the net on that one then by the sounds of things. Well, speaking of net Terrence Williams, a 2009 draft pick by the Nets was also involved in it. There you go. That might be who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Just quickly Nate, before you move on, can you believe that big baby Davis is only 37? Yeah, right. Wow. I guess he's one of these he's guys young. that left the league after only, what, maybe seven, eight years or something. Yeah, that yeah, is surprising. Considerably younger than us. That sucks. <laughs> oh, dear. And then finally, a bit of levity. Cal Halverson. Well, how do you put it? He uh, was a bit frigid. He had to spend 10 minutes warming up after suffering, well, possibly the worst thing a man can suffer if he's a skier a frozen penis during a 20-kilometre World Cup event in Ruka, Finland. I have frozen my penis for real. Damn, I had to lie there in the warm-up tent for 10 minutes to warm it up. It hurts so damn much. It's terrible. It's, it's lucky that I'm going to have my second child because this is going to be difficult in the future if I'm going to continue like this. It's a whole new uh, level to freezing sperm, isn't it? Ah. But this is the quote I love, Shree. But you should get a tip from me. Stay away from it because it's the worst thing you can experience. I dare say for someone that is experiencing something that may snap off, getting the tip from him is the last thing you want. Yes. <laughs> now, we had something very similar to this as a bloody hell a long, long, long time ago. 
probably in one of the early episodes that we did, uh, I just vaguely remember us making very immature jokes. Uh, I, I see that nothing's changed with us in the past three years. <laughs> oh, honestly, could not imagine anything worse than that. Just, yeah, look, frostbite to the, uh, to the willy. Ugh. That's the only reason why we didn't make it a bloody hell. And I, to be honest, I'd completely forgotten that one. So there you go. But as you say, we have been at it for a fair while now. We're uh, much closer to episode 200 than we are to episode two. I should mention that Remy Lindholm also required treatment on his penis after suffering a freeze for the second time in his career. So must have been bloody cold. They were doing it in the Arctic Circle. So occupational hazard, I guess. Voluntary assumption of risk, Nathan. That is what it is. Oh, I love it. Very good. Very good. Now, Nath, as the one of us that doesn't have kids, I believe you've got some parenting advice. Yes, believe it or not, even if you don't have kids, you can give parenting advice. I bought a PS5 recently. I decided I would get one for myself, for, for my, for, well, for my 40th, from a, a contribution of a number of different places uh, with, you know, <laughs> gift cards and money and, and all that sort of stuff. So I decided to get myself a PS5. What I didn't realize was that the NBA 2K downloaded, because of my shitty internet with iinet here and i'm not afraid to say my internet is shitty and it is iinet their standards have dropped uh because of my shitty internet i had a 106 gigabyte download i think it was so parents if you are buying your child a games console for christmas i strongly recommend you plug it in when they're in bed or out of the house and do all the updates first and then rebox it and then wrap it because the last thing you want is your kid excited about their games machine and then finding they have to sit there all day watching updates. Okay, that's very different to what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to basically give us all advice on not giving toddlers phones or any of that sort of stuff. And I was about to say, you don't know, you don't have kids. But that makes more sense. Yeah, I think that's sound advice. So yeah. That's great advice. Now, Shuri, I know you're champing at the bit to talk basketball. Obviously, we've been a very cricket heavy during the World Cup. We are heading into a period now, obviously the Aussie cricket summer is on, but we are heading into a period now where we're going to be very heavy basketball, NBA and NBL, over probably the next three, four months. Now, you haven't had a chance to sit in front of a microphone for a while, so I'll kind of throw to you. You were interested in looking at, I guess, a few surprises and disappointments as we're approximately 15 games into the season. Yeah, just wanted to look at a couple of each. I mean, for me, before we even look at teams, the biggest pleasant surprise for me has actually been the in-season tournament. Maybe not so much the the actual courts themselves. They are hideous. <laughs> I can't get past them. But surely we can agree that this has been a bit of a success. Well, let's talk about the court first. I find the strip down the middle really distracting. Do you find that? Like some of the courts yes. are okay. The yes. red courts I hate. I don't want to see a red court again. They're terrible. Some of the other courts are fine, but I do find that strip down the middle a bit distracting. Yeah, look, there have been some times where I haven't actually been able to tell what kind of, you know, like some of the stuff we'll talk about in the NBL as well. I haven't actually been able to tell who the home team is. I think there was a game, Sacramento and Minnesota, where I think it was a Minnesota home game, but the blue that they were using on the court was very similar to the Sacramento, that baby blue that they use. And I was sort of looking at the, the court, sort of trying to squint and go, right, what can I see? oh, okay, there's a Timberwolf there. It must be a Minnesota game. So, yeah, I, I think the courts in general have been a bit of a miss. But I have to say that's probably been the only part that's missed for me. Like, if you look at it, you know, guys are going after it. LeBron has openly said that he wants to win it. When he's 38, he's done pretty much everything you can do in this game. 
and he still wants to go after this thing that's worth you know five hundred thousand dollars. It's not even worth millions of dollars, but he wants that for his team and some of the players that are maybe not making as much money. You've had Malik Monk talking about it. There have been a ton of teams that have actually come out and said, we want to be the first ones to win this thing. So, you know, you've got guys playing hard in late November. These games are often really dull and kind of boring. And I think you kind of have to say that based on that, this has worked. And also there's a lot of coaches saying the players are up for it as well and they're, they're sensing a different vibe. So, no, I agree. I think I think for the most part, it has pretty much done what it was intending to achieve. I think... A lot of people didn't quite understand. They're like, why are they doing this at the beginning of the season? But it's no, 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 it's not about, you can't look at it in isolation of the NBA. It was the greatest sports landscape and it was to kind of keep interest as the NFL was still going. As we know, that attracts a lot of attention and a lot of people don't start to ramp up their basketball watching till Christmas. And I'll admit, I'm, I'm one of those people too. I haven't watched it a hell of a lot. I've kind of watched games, not so much because they're a part of the tournament, but just because they're the games I've chosen to watch. So I think... Had it been another year, I would have seen more and I would have been more invested. But as I said, because the World Cup's been on and I've been trying to watch as much cricket as possible, I haven't watched a lot of NBA in the last couple of weeks. And so full disclosure there. So I think in future seasons, I'll watch more of the tournament. I'll definitely do my best to watch the semis in the final. I don't know if I'll watch all of the quarters. I'll, I'll try and catch one or two. I guess it probably depend on the on the results. But yeah, I think it's funny that for a, a league that many think has too many games, one of their solutions was to add a couple more games because obviously the semis of the final in Vegas are outside of the normal schedule. But I, I never had a major problem with it per se. I just wasn't super interested in it. I thought it was a bit of a gimmick. But hey, it seems to be working. I guess the only thing is it's interesting, the whole score differential. And so there was a situation where I think the Celtics were up by 30 or 32 or something and they're fouling Andre Drummond. And so that's not a great look, you know? So so I guess that's one of the byproducts in the bad way. But I also saw, I think it was DeMar DeRozan saying, nah, I don't run up the score. And it's like, well, dude, you guys are having a pretty shitty season. I think uh, the Bulls need all the all the happiness they can get at the moment, wh wherever they can find it. So I think teams have realized that you do need to run up the score. So that's going to be one of the things they might need to look at going forward. But no, I think you're right. I think for the most part, it's it's been a, a pretty good success. Just needs a bit of tinkering around the edges. Yeah, and look, hopefully this running up the score is the first step in getting rid of this bullshit unwritten rule that you don't score if the game's already out of reach. I absolutely despise when teams get shitty at that stuff. So, yeah, hopefully this is the first step in getting rid of that. And we've talked about in the NBL too how imports are funny about that and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I, I think... It's Yeah, it's not a good look when a team is up by more than 30 to be extending a game by fouling, but that's kind of what they have to do in order to guarantee a berth in the tournament. So I guess it swings and roundabouts. What do you make of the stakes? Like, do you think there's some people are saying that if you win the tournament, you should get an automatic playoff berth and all this sort of stuff? No, absolutely not. <laughs> that is, no, that's way, way, way too far. Uh, I think if you want to give them some silverware, they're already getting a monetary prize for it. I absolutely do not agree in any way, shape or form that this should have anything to do with the actual playoffs. And I'm guessing you probably feel the same way. Oh, absolutely. That's fucking disgusting. And anyone that suggests it should wash their mouth out. I mean, theoretically, you could have a situation where you win, let's say you drop one game in the tournament, you wish you win the rest of the games. You could you could make the NBA playoffs and only win seven games in a season, for example, in theory. So, no, I think yep. that's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's already done what they want it to do. Let's not make the stakes bigger. 
every game has to kind of count the same as far as the season proper is concerned. I, I get that these are kind of extracurricular, but as far as the 82 game season is concerned, every game has to have equal weighting for the final playoffs. So if they bring that in, I'll be, I'll be pissed. Pissed. Yep. Agreed. Oh, so I believe that was your honorable mention surprise, Chewie. You've got even more. Yeah, so there are a couple of teams. So I wanted to start off with a really great surprise in the Western Conference. I feel pretty silly for not seeing this coming, if I'm honest. Uh, I said starting before the season that Anthony Edwards looked like Kobe Bryant in the World Cup on what was a really disappointing USA team. And for me to not see that Minnesota were going to do a lot better than they did last season is, yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing, if I'm honest, but... I'm really happy for Minnesota. They haven't had much in the way of success since Kevin Garnett left. Um, so it's it's really exciting to see. I don't know if you've seen much of the Timberwolves yet this season. They didn't even have a lot of success when Kevin Garnett was there. Let's face it, it was only relative. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, as far as some teams are concerned, they've had a lot more pain than a lot of franchises have. Uh, I saw the Minnesota Spurs game. So my watching this season has been very Spurs-based. I'm going to try and watch every single game. So in other seasons, I kind of just watch what's out there. Whereas this season, I'm kind of seeing a lot of teams through the lens of the Spurs. But as I say, now the World Cup's done, I will be watching more games. So it won't just be the Spurs. Yeah, I've only seen one game of theirs so far. So I can't really comment much. I think I don't think you should be too hard on yourself. I think a lot of people probably thought they would finish around where they finished last season. So kind of in that kind of bottom of the playoff bracket, I think, look, there's still a long way to go. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season yet. There was never concerns about Anthony Edwards. We all know how great he is and how great he'll probably become. But I think the cat go bear combination caused a lot of consternation. So yeah, I, I have him as one of my surprises as well. Pleasant surprises. I yeah, I think I don't know if a lot of people yes, they they competed very well against Denver, but I don't know if a lot of people had them this high at this point. Well, look, I mean, certainly shout out to Robbie. I know he had them at uh, number four, I think it was in the West. But yeah, look, talking about, I guess, some of the things, I mean, obviously, yeah, Anthony Edwards, we know he's a superstar, a little bit more efficient this season. He just keeps trajecting up, which is really, really great to see. It kind of looks like Gobert and Towns have kind of adjusted and figured out that as that two-headed monster, they're really, really tough to stop. Like, Gobert finishes anything near the top of the square. Cat's shooting less threes, uh, which I think is really exciting. I think it's 1.4 more two-point shots a game and nearly one less three-pointer a game, which I know it doesn't sound like much, but it just sort of means that he's sort of understanding that his game doesn't have to just all be outside. We're seeing maturity as well. We're going to talk about, obviously, the Draymond Green choke at some stage. I dare say, Stewie, the best way to stop a two-headed monster is to get one of the heads in a headlock. Yes, exactly. Well, actually, well, as it turns out, it didn't work too well. But <laughs> the reason it didn't work out too well is because we're seeing a bit of maturity in Gobert's game. You know, you think back when we started doing this podcast, one of the first things we talked about was him being a smartass and rubbing COVID all over the microphones. Now, you know, three years later, he's in a headlock from Draymond Green and he puts his hand straight up in the air to show that he's not doing anything so that he doesn't get a tech. Really, really impressive. You know, that coupled with the fact that, you know, Cat only played 29 games last season. So they're actually getting a bit of time on the court together. They had that full training camp as well. So they've actually had enough time to really get to know each other and how they all play. The biggest thing, obviously, is the defense. And that's what Gobert is known for. The number one in defensive rankings for the team in the league, the second in blocks, third in defensive field goal percentage, first in opponent three-point percentage. They've got all these tall, interchangeable guys. 
They get in passing lanes. They've got this elite shot blocker behind them so they can kind of gamble a little bit more. Look, as you said, it's very early in the season. But when you consider that a couple of years ago, we were sort of talking about this Gobert trade and going, well, it's probably one of the worst trades in the history of the league. Now you kind of look at it and think, maybe Minnesota has a chance to contend. And if they do, you know, we saw Toronto do it in 2019. To a lesser extent, the Celtics kind of did that in the late 2000s as well. Winning one championship justifies all of that stuff. Oh, I agree with that 100%. I'm not convinced they're a championship contender myself, but I agree with that, yeah. Well, look, I mean, they finished the number one seed. They get home court advantage. You just never know. Hey, they're banking wins early, and that's that's a really good way to set up your season. So, yeah, they're, they're looking good. Now, the other team I wanted to talk about, most people were probably thinking that I would be saying the 13-5 and five Orlando Magic, which seems like the really obvious choice. I kind of wanted to take a different tact with this because a lot of people have been, been talking about the Magic. It's, it's a great story. Again, Orlando, another team that have been shit for a number of years. But I actually really love what the Indiana Pacers are doing. I don't know if you've seen much of Indy. I haven't actually seen a lot of them at all, but I've been keeping an eye on them. And I guess when you spoke about Robbie, when I was guest on their show, I basically said that Indiana were kind of one of those wild cards that could go either way. I mean, look, they're not setting the world on fire. They're nine and seven. But the thing I love about them, okay, you've got eight guys, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, Obi Toppin, Bruce Brown, Aaron Neesmith, and Jalen Smith, all averaging double figures. Maybe they're not the most consistent team in the league, but they're the most fun to watch by far. Well, maybe not by far. You know, there's a few teams that are really good, but I mean, they dropped 157 on the Hawks. They dropped 152 on your Spurs, 143 on Washington. They've got four other games in the 130s and they've only played 16 games so far. Currently number one in the league in points per game. They're the only team shooting over 50% from the field. They're fourth in the league in three-point shooting. Number one in assists and pace. It all starts with Tyrese Halliburton, obviously. Like, what do you think the ceiling is with Halliburton? Well, it's really, it's interesting you say that. So obviously, I I have to say, I haven't watched the Indiana Spurs game yet. I was away for a week on work. And so I've got some catching up to do. I've probably seen just over half the games, I guess. I've I've got to uh, catch up on some. Funnily enough, the last time I watched every Spurs game in a season or nearly every Spurs game in a season was the Zaza Pachulia Kawhi season and I actually had a spreadsheet and I was documenting every game I watched to make sure I didn't miss it we finished 67 and 15 that season if I'm not mistaken I'm pretty sure I'm not conflating two different seasons here but anyway I was listening to some Bill Simmons on the drive home from work today and he was talking to someone apparently one of the popular callback questions at the moment on sports radio is can Halliburton be the best pacer of all time and really he's probably only got Reggie Miller to compete with doesn't he so and Reggie Miller's I think had one all NBA second team or something like that, or a third team or something like, so, Hey, he could, he could end up being the best pacer of all time based on that. Yeah. I mean, Reggie's definitely the the best pacer out there. There have been some very good paces over the years, like uh, Clark Kellogg. He was there for a very short time, but uh, I think you've got Billy Knight and a, and a couple of other guys. Yeah, some ABA guys yeah. yeah. But, but certainly, I mean, Reggie is absolutely the, you know, he's the, the, the bar that you kind of go against. And um, yeah, you're right. You know, all NBA third team, three times, five-time All-Star, NBA 75th anniversary team. So the, the bar is very high in that regard. But, you know, at the moment, I feel like he's kind of pushing towards that All-NBA second team. Like the guard spot is stacked, but, you know, 26 and 12 at the moment on a 52, 45, 91 clip. 
He's 12th in the league in assist to turnover ratio, which, you know, when you consider he's running a very young team, so it can be a lot harder to control those turnovers a little bit when you've got guys maybe cutting when they shouldn't be, vice versa. So, you know, it's really impressive. And he's just the fifth guy ever. So John Stockton, Chris Paul, LeBron James, and James Harden, the only guys with a 30.15 assists, zero turnover game ever. Nice, nice. I like it. You could have made that trivia without notice. I'm glad you didn't. I, I I could have. I dare say, yeah, yeah, you probably would have got them, actually. Uh, I don't know. I think at a push, he could have. The the only thing, obviously, with Indy is they just can't defend. Like, for a team that has Miles Turner as the the head of the snake in terms of the defense, no one else really on that team is doing much in the way of shutting guys down. I mean, they're scoring 127, 128 points a game. They're giving up nearly 126. But they're so much fun to watch. Yeah, I, I, as I say, I haven't really seen them yet, but I've been looking at those scores, and as you mentioned, there's some bloody high ones. So don't know how much D's being played, as you mentioned, but hey, entertaining. Now, Nath, I alluded to the Orlando Magic before. You kind of want to talk about them really quickly? Yeah, I, I guess you posed this question a few hours ago, so I, I, I am reaching for the low-hanging fruit as far as the easy stuff is concerned on this one. But they have won eight in a row. They've won nine of their last ten. They beat Milwaukee pretty handily. They beat the aforementioned Indiana Pacers. They beat Boston. So they're accruing some good wins here and they've got a good balance. So yeah, they're probably ahead of schedule, I dare say. A bit like Houston. Houston obviously are a bit closer to 500, but they're two of those teams that I maybe thought maybe another year off. But uh, yeah, hey, Orlando, if they can keep it up and a long way to go. But if they can keep it up, they've set themselves up quite nicely. Absolutely. And they're doing it without Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter Jr. They're both missing for 13 games so far. Yeah, well, look, we're seeing, obviously, the next step from Franz Wagner. We're seeing the next step from Paolo Banquero. Cole Anthony's really, really stepped up his game. He looks like an absolute beast. Jalen Suggs, we're kind of seeing more of, I guess, what we were expecting of him coming out of college. They're just, they're a really fun, balanced team. I don't think that they're necessarily going to do any damage in the playoffs. Uh, If they keep going at this pace, they might be able to get one series, but I can't see them going past maybe a conference semifinals, but yeah, geez, it's fun. And as you say, they're well ahead of schedule. And they've got so many guards that they can afford to have some injuries. So they've got pretty good depth, even though they are young. Uh, Look, I think you're right. I think they'll fall back to the pack, but it's a great start for them. And it's, it's great. Like, as I said, winning is a culture, so it's great for the future too. So yeah. Good to see. Absolutely. I know, as I said, a bit of an easy one, that one. Orlando have been good. Who's your disappointment, Stewie? We're looking at a couple of disappointments each. Yeah, the first one's got to be the Bulls. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to set the world on fire, but they're 5-14. and 14. Like, that's just hideous. I mean, if you look at their entire roster, apart from Lonzo Ball, everyone in their rotations played at least 16 of those 19 games. This is a team that's got three all-star caliber players. They're bottom four in points per game, assists per game, field goal percentage, and they're absolutely dead last in pace. And if you want to look at it even more so, their big three play like absolute shit together. If you look at a couple of days ago, they had a point differential of minus 18.8 points per 100 possessions with those three on the court. And we're talking about Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine. Yeah, it's it's extra interesting because they exploded out of the gates last year, didn't they? But I dare say, ever since Lonzo Ball went down, that's just ruined Chicago, hasn't it? It's just turned it all to shit. It has, yeah. I mean, look, there's other factors. Patrick Williams is kind of looking more like the guy everyone expected when we were all kind of questioning him at pick four in the 2020 draft. 
Kobe White continues to be a subpar shooter. In fact, I think I brought up this stat in another episode and it still kind of stands true. Only Alex Caruso and Andre Drummond are averaging more than four minutes a game and shooting above 47% from the field. They are a team that traditionally doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. And when I say traditionally, like over the past few years, they haven't shot well. And it goes back to what we've kind of always said about Zach Levine. He's a great numbers, bad team sort of guy. And I think Vucevic kind of fits the same category. So the rumor is Levine to the Lakers. That's kind of the strong rumor at the moment. Caruso will be a, a strong trade ship, I think you you mentioned. So I kind of expect them to bottom out and to maybe uh, maybe start trying to get the best deals they can for some of these better players. Yeah, I mean, definitely the blow it up talk is all over the place right now. And the, the thing that kind of sucks for them is that a lot of teams, if they're struggling offensively, they can throw back and go, okay, let's just fall back on being a defensive team. But Caruso is the only guy who's kind of a lockdown defender. They don't have guys that are traditionally good quality defenders. And the the crazy thing about it is Billy Donovan left OKC because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. And he's now coached three years of basically sub 500 ball. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think Caruso could fetch quite a pretty penny because he is a very good... He's just a good player to have in the playoffs, isn't he? He's the sort of guy you want on your team in the playoffs. And so they might get a couple of picks for him. Obviously, people are going a bit wild for the the market value of Ananobi. I, I think Caruso, if they do trade him, I think they might get more for him than some people expect. But I think anyone that watches enough basketball knows the value that Caruso can bring to a team. Honestly, if I'm the Lakers, I would actually go about getting Caruso back before I go about getting Levine. Oh, of course. I yeah, I agree. 100%. Now, the other one that I think is probably fairly obvious, and I believe that you and I have both got this team on our list, is the Golden State Warriors. They have been a real disappointment. I picked them to make the Western Conference Finals. It looks like they're more like a play-in team right now. 8-10 and 10 overall, 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. And they started the season 5-1. and one. Steph's playing like an MVP, no secret there. I don't know why are Golden State so ghastly, you know? So I took a different tack, actually. I've got two players as my disappointments, but uh, one of them is on Golden State. Yeah, it's, well, maybe I'll just bring that up now. So it's really interesting. I, I used that quote from Draymond Green a few weeks ago where he said that everyone's happy, the chemistry is good. He was basically saying that Jordan Poole was the problem. Well, mate, after that headlock on Rudy Gobert, maybe you're kind of the problem. I do defend him a bit because I do know the value that he brings to a team. I know I certainly hold more value for him than you do. I know we kind of differ on him a little bit, but you just, it's inexcusable. Well, I guess the question is, do you think the penalty was strong enough for, for the headlock? No, I don't. And the, the reason that I don't is the precedent that I'll bring up, which is, look, it's not an exact parallel, but think about Latrell Sprewell. He puts his coach in a headlock in a private training session. Now, admittedly, he then went back and punched him in the face, but he got 68 games for that. And Draymond Green gets five for putting a guy in a headlock, dragging him back about 20 feet on national television. I don't see how that is nearly enough. Yeah, I, I don't obviously think it's as bad as Latrell, but I think uh, you could maybe make a case for 10 games, especially because of his bad record. I mean, this guy, he's hes notorious. He's a repeat offender. He does something crazy at least once a season, but often multiple times. As we know, he basically cost his team a championship one year. Now he's helped to win others. 
but he did basically cost his team a championship when he kicked LeBron in the balls. So yeah, this is super, super disappointing. In my opinion, both players were, I know that Clay's jersey got a bit more ripped, but my, in my opinion, they were both as bad as each other. I felt that Clay was holding Daniels just as much as Daniels was holding Clay. And so I think that Draymond's reaction was totally disproportionate. Rudy was just trying to keep the pace, really. You do that old thing where you hug a bloke so they're not throwing haymakers. And so, yeah, I, I, I think the, I think it was really poor and really disappointing and kind of undid a lot of that good work the season started with. And so now, as you say, they're in a real difficult situation. And the Western Conference is such where you can't afford to fuck up for multiple weeks because you can get yourself really behind the eight ball really quick. So there's a number of concerns Wiggins isn't playing as well as he was in that championship season. Now, I guess he's very much trick or treat. And maybe it's as simple as if he plays well, the team does, does well. And if he doesn't, they don't. I think that he can have that kind of impact. Obviously, he was rebounding really well in that final series in particular, for example. But he's just looked terrible, hasn't he? And Kaminga, okay, was Kaminga the right pick at that? They've, they've arguably screwed up some draft picks. So, yeah, things could... If they don't turn around soon, things could get out of control for the Warriors pretty quick. And look, you've brought up a lot of the stuff that I've got here as well. I mean, if you look at Wiggins's numbers, four points per game less than he did as a rookie, career low. Shooting three-pointers, career low. Never been an amazing free-throw shooter, but career low. Averaging a career low in assists, steals and blocks as well. Basically, he's struggling to score, he's struggling to play make, and he's not contributing. You mentioned the, the final series against Boston where... He didn't shoot the ball particularly well on that series. However, he was the top rebounding player in the entire series, and he was second behind Robert Williams as far as blocks per game as well. So he was impacting the game in other ways, and he had a number of really key offensive rebounds in that series that kind of helped Golden State get over the line against a Boston team that probably pushed them a little bit further than a lot of us thought. So, yeah, if he's not doing those other things when he's not shooting well, it doesn't help. And, yeah, Clay Thompson, exactly the same boat. Career lows from two and three, lowest scoring output since his rookie season, and he was behind Monte Ellis in that season for a decent chunk. It's just, yeah, they're high-volume shooters, and if they're not shooting their way out of it, unless they're doing other stuff. I mean, Clay used to be a lockdown defender. He was one of the best two-way players in the entire league, but ever since the injury, he's just not able to do that anymore. So you you look at the five-man group of Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Kevon Looney, they were a plus 21.9 net rating last season. They're a negative 14.4 this season. They're getting nothing out of half of those five. And their bench hasn't helped. As you mentioned, Kaminga shows flashes, but he's a sub 20% three-point shooter. Gary Payton the second is a great defender, but he doesn't do much offensively. Chris Paul is sub 33% from deep. You're just not getting much from anyone off the bench who isn't Dario Saric. And yeah, I wonder maybe it's time to see whether anyone might be willing to trade for Clay Thompson's expiring contract. Well, like I said last season, I thought he was the one they should have moved on from, and I'm not going to change my opinion now. Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I think they needed to get away from Jordan Poole as well. He's doing a whole bunch of stupid shit in Washington. There was one I saw uh, a video of him the other day where he did this beautiful crossover move on the baseline, had a wide-open 12-footer, stopped for a second, took a step in and tried to throw up a floater and Asar Thompson just destroyed this thing into the, the stands. And you just think that's the sort of stuff where he just doesn't get it. Those Thompson yeah, they need twins. To yeah, they're yeah. amazing defenders. You don't you don't play around with them. 
Yeah, no, I think, think I think he's killing their chemistry in Washington. I don't think people like playing with him. I think he's a ball hog and I think he makes poor decisions, as you say. And I don't imagine it's very fun watching many Wizards games. I certainly won't be reaching for the remote to turn on Wizard games very often this season. Nope, absolutely not. So, yeah, I think Golden State have, have been a really big disappointment this season. And I just, I don't know. I mean, yeah, last couple of seasons, I, I hadn't really thought particularly high of them. This season, I finally feel like I've learnt my lesson and, they're making me look like a fool this way now. So yeah, not particularly great. Um, and yeah, just going back to the the Draymond thing, I guess the, the reason I get a bit frustrated with this is that if you look at Ja Morant, he got a five times longer suspension for holding a gun on Instagram. Now I'm not condoning that, but he didn't fire it. He wasn't even criminally charged for it. And that was his second offense. This is Draymond 649th. And he gets five games for basically trying to choke a guy out. Like it's, it's absurd. I just don't know how this guy just keeps getting away with stuff. He should be ejected from 95% of Golden State's games for the way that he speaks to officials. And he just seems to get away with everything. It, it just, it drives me nuts. Yeah, or well, they'll give him one, but they won't give him the second one, even though he often does something worse than what got him the first one. Yeah, no, I agree. He is yeah. officiated differently, sometimes negatively, but for the most part, I think positively for the Warriors. So... Yeah, really disappointing. And he's not a rookie. He's a veteran. He should be leading by example. Look, I know he's fiery. I know... he, But he even showed a lack of contrition. I don't know if you saw his press conference. But basically, he was like, oh, I go in to help my boys. It's like, yeah, but it's more grey than that. It's not just black and white where you just go in to help your teammates. Like, Rudy did nothing wrong. He didn't even attack the right person. So, yeah, poor. Very poor. The funniest thing about it, I think, was hearing Rudy Gobert say, as soon as I heard that Steph was out, I knew Draymond was going to try and get ejected. And it kind of seemed a bit crazy, but then you look at it, 11 times Draymond's been ejected since 2019, Steph was out for seven of those. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Very so, interesting. Yeah, there's maybe something more to that. So there you go. Now, Nath, I know we probably don't really want to talk about it too much, but there is another fairly pressing issue that we've kind of got to talk about. It is the Josh Giddy. Yes. So Yeah, so he was my other disappointment, Stewie. And look, to be honest, legal matters aside, he was already a bit of a disappointment. He's two and a half points less than last season, nearly two full rebounds less than last season, one and a half less assists than last season. I think his shooting numbers are similar, I think. They might be slightly up in some cases, slightly down in others. There were talks that he doesn't fit within the team and he might be the obvious one to trade. And given the recent legal woes, I don't think that's going to change. I think those noises will get even louder. But of course, now his value potentially goes down. So the team has stood behind him. He started to cop the booze. I think it was the Minnesota fans that gave him some very strong booze. Basically, we'll tread very lightly here because there's very little information out there and we're strong believers in innocent until proven guilty and all that sort of thing. But basically, the crux of it is if you've been living under a rock, he has been alleged to have been involved with an underage girl. So, Look, I don't know necessarily whether the drop-off in his numbers is just as much about maybe a drop in form, but just as much about other guys maybe stepping up. I mean, Chet Holmgren didn't play last season, so he's getting a few more shots. You know, Giddy's shots per game are down by three, so he's taking less shots, which generally means he's going to score less. He's also required, I guess, to take a few more threes, He's not got that driving lane as much with Chet in there. There's other guys like Jalen Williams has taken the next step. Shea looks like he's going to be an All-NBA first-teamer again. 
uh, Isaiah Joe looks awesome. Casey Wallace. Like, there's so many guys that are doing great things for that team that I think for them to expect that he would score 16 and a half points a game is maybe a little bit unrealistic, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just doesn't really feel like he's necessarily a hundred percent the right fit. Will they trade him? Maybe not aside from obviously the on-court stuff, the off-court stuff is disappointing. And, and I think rather than talk about what he did, I think the biggest thing for me is that this just kind of really should reiterate to every one of these young guys in the league that this is your livelihood. You really often only get one chance at this. There's a lot of guys that have missed out for various reasons. A number of guys have been pushed out of the league because of drugs, because of X, Y, and Z. And this just shows how quickly you can potentially throw your entire career and life down the drain. I mean, there's multi-million dollar contracts on the line. There's endorsement contracts, sneaker deals, you know, you get mislabeled as a pedophile, which you know, is not even accurate. Wheat bix. There's there's so many things that you can potentially lose out on because of something like this. But yeah, look, it, it's tricky. We don't know whether he was talking to her online. We don't know whether he's just met her at the club. Like there's so many details that are still sort of not out there yet. I mean, look, the family is supposedly not assisting police with the investigation. So who knows where this will all go. But yeah, just obviously really disappointing for Josh to make potentially such a, a horrible career defining decision you're right though about the mislabeling like it, it's a, a pedophile is someone very different they are interested in someone pre-pubescent and this girl is post-pubescent so it's a real shame like giddy muse for example on twitter changed their name to pedo muse which is really quite mm. quite sad so yeah i actually i feel like we've talked about it too much already but uh yeah it's it's uh it's a really tricky one and we we don't want to make there are power relationships and there there are all sorts of things at play here, but we don't want to make excuses. So I guess we'll leave it there and we'll see what further information comes out. But no, you're absolutely right. It is their livelihood and one mistake can cost you dearly, very dearly. Now, Nate, just quickly on that same sort of track, I did want to just quickly talk about Miles Bridges. Look, obviously as a basketball fan, it's kind of exciting to see a player of his caliber back on the court doing what he does best. He hit a very big three against the Celtics the other day and in a big win for Charlotte. He is obviously an incredibly talented basketball player, but I did see an interesting tweet from the Daniel Tice fan club that said, just a reminder that Tyreek Evans, who had drug problems, got a two-year suspension from the NBA, which ended his career in the league. They did not help him. They got rid of him. Miles Bridges beat up his wife, sat out a year and came back like nothing happened. Sometimes the punishment just doesn't fit the crime. There's some inconsistencies, aren't there? It's it's really weird how these things go sometimes. I I forgot that Tyreek Evans got two years. I remember he never lived up to his potential and obviously blue chipper out of Kentucky. Bit of a ball hog. Had the tools. Yeah, there you go. I forget that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It, it is. When you look at guys like yeah him, OJ Mayo, Roy Tarpley going back to the eighties and nineties, you know, a lot of these guys that yeah, just had issues with drugs that maybe didn't impact too much outside of them. And then you've got guys that are doing, you know, really horrible stuff to women and children, not so much the, um, the, the children's side of things in the NBA, but if you look at, I guess, uh, Adrian was, Peterson. Was NFL player? Adrian yeah, Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Yep. With yeah. a switch. So yeah. Yeah, so so you have guys that have done stupid shit like that, which realistically is a lot worse than a guy smoking a bit of weed. Ray Rice was another one, the uh, horrible 
elevator footage. Yeah, well, wait, it's legal now too, isn't it? In the in these leagues, if not in all states. So yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's 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 it is an interesting one. All right, let's get on to some better stuff. We'll do a really quick Wemby watch and Thunder talk. What have you seen? Yeah, so not a lot. I've only watched two games in the last couple of weeks of the Spurs because obviously I was away on work for one week. And then in the last week, I've watched those two games. And yeah, we had the cricket and this, that and the other. So as I said, I'm ramping up my NBA watching. But I, I still think Wemby's ahead of schedule. He's as advertised. You can see the hype. The more games you watch, the more you realize why he was so hyped. I think it was, was it Bo Estes that said he's the sort of guy that will do at least one thing in every single game that makes you go, holy shit. And that's true to form. In that Denver game, that Denver game was fantastic. He had six steals and four blocks on top of, I don't know, 22 odd points and 10 odd rebounds and a couple of assists. He's absolutely stuffed the stat sheet. And a lot of those steals, are no other player in the league would get those steals. It's just uh, guys throw passes that I think they're going to have to learn over time that there's certain passes that you just can't attempt with Wemby around. I actually think he could play a similar role to Jokic. I don't think that's the best way to use him, though. So I think he could be a point center, but I think the best way to use him is to have him as a lob option down low. I think it is good to run the ball through him. He could be a Kevin Durant type player. His handle is that good. His shot's good. He's still working out his three-point attempts and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I still think he's ahead of schedule. Even though we're losing a lot, it's still an entertaining team to watch. I like our fight. We still hustle. We can go down 20 or 30 on a team, but then often only lose by 10 or something. So we don't kind of shit the bed very often, even though we do have a really poor record. We've only won three games, two of them against the Suns, which is kind of funny. So we started really well. I think part of the reason why we went downhill is because Devin Vassell got injured after those first seven or eight games. And he has played a lot of games since, but he was coming off the bench and that did seem to hurt our momentum. Now, look, I don't mind too much. I'm happy to have another slow season and to get a good draft pick. I'm just kind of enjoying the ride. But as I say, luckily, it's still kind of an entertaining team to watch. They compete. I really like watching the bench play. That ball is moving around the court a hell of a lot. So I actually quite like watching the subs playing as well. So I'm still enjoying it, even though we're not winning a lot of games. It can be tough watching all those losses. (laughs) You need to kind of chuck in the odd game here or there. But as I said, we've competed well against teams like Denver. Okay, they had a lot of guys out. They did have Murray and Gordon out, if not one other. I think there might have been one other as well. So I think Porter played that game, Porter Jr. But anyway... Yeah, so so good signs ahead of schedule and, yeah, just exciting times still. Porter did play in that game. Yeah, look, probably my one big thing I would say to you is just be careful not to lose for too long. You don't want to create that losing culture, Nathan. Oh, no, I agree. No, no, I, I, I still believe that. I think this season's fine. I think all the signs are there. As I say, we compete hard. Wemby hates losing. It's Look, it's unavoidable this season, and we've got some good draft picks coming. Toronto are looking a bit shaky. We've got one of their picks. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't want. I think next year we should be targeting the play-in. But this season, just develop. Sohan, obviously, the point guard experiment's still ongoing. There's a bit of improvement. That's a very up-and-down kind of experiment. But, yeah, oh, it's, no, I still believe that. It's not up and down, Nathan. It's down. It's it's not Sohan is not a point guard. It's like I saw one play fairly recently. It was a three on two, but Tyus Jones was out at the three point line and someone was guarding him. It was effectively a two on one. Sohan running with Wemby, and Sohan passed it out to Jones. The moment it hit Jones's hands, he throws the lob to Wemby, and they get an M one. It's like any point guard or any anyone with any sort of point guard nous would have said, "Look, you're running a two on one with a guy who's seven foot sixty three." Fucking throw it up to the roof and let him finish. 
So yeah, it, it's I agree with why they're doing it because it's helping them lose. But Sohan is not a long term point guard. Oh no, no, just, he's not a long term point guard. He shows flashes. He'll have good moments here and there. And again, unless you're watching the Spurs regularly, you're not going to see it. And why would you watch them regularly unless you're a fan? Or So I, I understand that. I think it's partly, yes, it, it helps keep the record down. I think I'm really impressed with Jones. I really like him. I think Pops probably said to Sohan, look, you have the potential to be as good as Draymond Green and to be a similar player to Draymond Green. And I think if we can improve his passing and improve some of his playmaking and that sort of stuff, I don't think he necessarily will even be the long-term point guard. But I think if he can improve some of those skills going forward, then when we do have a good point guard or decide to put someone in that point guard position, whether we draft or or sign a star or whatever it might be, because obviously we'll have a shitload of cap room too, I think it just means that, that Sohan will be better developed. So it's very much throwing guys in the deep end and making them swim. And in the long term, that can only help. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with things. What, what do you make of the Thunder other than what we've already talked about, I guess? Do you have any more th- thoughts on the Thunder? I, I do. Just quickly, though, I guess as a bridge between the two teams, really cool stat that I saw. Look, admittedly, it was a couple of weeks ago, but I think it kind of can be extrapolated to still be true. At that time, the only two players in the league with 200 points, 100 rebounds, 25 blocks, and 23 pointers were Wemby and Chet. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. And Chet looked very good in that in, in a few games. I mean, Chet's, Chet's looking good. And you're right. The the Giddy stuff, I probably didn't factor that in. Chet's usage will be affecting. Giddy's just touching the ball less. So it makes yeah. sense. They are a better team than last season. So it does make sense. Absolutely. I think the thing is, if you look at the two of them, they're both kind of, I don't know, trajecting towards about the same sort of spot in terms of this season. I feel like Chet's doing it a little bit more smoothly, whereas Wemby's a little bit more up and down. So the peaks and troughs are quite severe with Wemby, but obviously we know his capabilities are absolutely out of this world. So it's uh, it's going to be a fun race to the finish line in the Rookie of the Year. I dare say you could probably give it to either of them and probably be fairly happy. I did want to just quickly also, while we're on the topic of the Spurs, Nate, I wanted your thoughts on Greg Popovich taking the arena microphone telling the Spurs fans to stop booing Kawhi Leonard because, quote, it's not classy and that's not who we are. Yes, can we please lay off the booing that's not who we are is the quote I have during that Clipper game, yeah. By the way, I think you've invented a word. You've said trajecting twice. I'm not convinced that trajecting is a word, but I like it. It should be a word. Bloody well should be if it's not. It should. Uh, Yeah, look, apparently, basically, we played the Clippers back-to-back. I only watched one of the two games so far. I will go back and watch because, as I said, I'm going to try and watch every single game. Apparently, it became a bit incessant. It was the second of the two games, and he he just got sick of it. And I don't know. I kind of I kind of like the Spurs culture, and I like the good guy thing. I'm okay with that. Like, obviously, I don't mind a bit of booing. He did kind of screw the Spurs a little bit, but fucking cheer him because if he doesn't leave, we don't get Wemby. So, as far as I'm concerned, thanks Kawhi. Thanks for the memories. You helped bring us a championship. I'm just kind of indifferent about him now, pretty much. Does it not seem a little bit cheap, though, coming from the surly bastard who spent years traumatising sideline reporters who were just kind of trying to do their job? (laughs) Well, we've got a story about sideline reporters, as I mentioned at the top, we'll talk about next week in our court of public opinion. Um, Yeah, I have heard that doing the rounds a little bit. Look, they asked two questions. I don't know if in the last couple of years, he's actually softened a hell of a lot on that anyway. So so I'm not even sure that opinion is maybe relevant five years ago, but he's softened a hell of a lot on the on the sideline reporters in the last few years. So that's that's a bit old. That's outdated, that opinion, in my opinion. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's still who he was, and it, it's still he. Look, he's still surly. He just talks a little bit more than he used to. And I, look, I think he did certainly realize he was being an asshole to a number of people. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just regardless of it being a little bit outdated. Yeah, it's yeah just... but it was a bit of shtick too, though. Like it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't. It was almost like everyone knew that that was coming, and it, it almost became a bit of a trope. I feel he was never mean to people personally. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that justifies it, but still, it's uh, anyway. Just yeah. kind of what oh, I wanted you know, to add to. Yeah, you. no, fair enough. Uh, to be honest, I found I, his interviews better than the other ones because they don't add anything to the fucking broadcast anyway. So true. And look, I agree with you entirely. They should be happy with what he did, but yeah, let the fans be annoyed with the fact that. He didn't want to be a part of an organization that gave him a shot and turned him into the player he is. So, you know, anyway, uh, just quickly, mate, Chris Paul and Scott Foster are at it again. CP3 got ejected the other day in a game, I believe against Phoenix, if I remember correctly. When is the league going to stop assigning Scott Foster to Chris Paul games? Well, I don't think that's a viable option, is it? I don't think that's possible. He's one of the senior refs and and if they get far enough in the playoffs even if they didn't schedule him but then that's a mitting issue as well the league would prefer to pretend there's nothing wrong and nothing to see here so i think that's an admission of guilt if they so i don't think they can do that oh look i don't disagree with that but jesus christ like he needs to just pull his head in scott foster like the crowd doesn't come to the game to see him this is now at a point where he's three and 17 Chris Paul in games officiated by Foster going back to 2008, one and 13 in their past 14 playoff games. Like it's a shit house narrative. And I tell you what, the league needs to tell both of them to just get along. Like it's, it's actually, it's actually annoying me that it's still a thing. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is a thing and it shouldn't be a thing, but it does seem to be a thing. Yeah. Look, they're both not, my favorite people in the league, if I'm honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Look, hey, anyone that's listened to Whistleblower knows that the NBA is a little bit closer to the WWE than we'd like to admit sometimes as well. So, yeah. Now, Nathan, I've got two things to wrap up the NBA. So, first one if you want proof that the Utah Jazz aren't quite over 1998 yet, the in stadium Wi Fi is named Jordan Pushed Off. Yeah, and this is the team that was selling Jordan Jumpman j- shirts in their fucking team store. So, like, what the hell? Work it out, guys. Figure it out. Now, this might be one of the craziest facts I reckon I've ever heard in terms of the NBA, and I wanted to save it to last because this just blew me away. Now, you might have seen that LeBron suffered his biggest loss of his career the other day, lost to Philadelphia by 44 points. Correct. I did. Yes, I did see that. And Austin Reeves said they beat the shit out of them, quote. And they did. Very, very true. So on the day of that game, LeBron James was 38 years and 333 days old. So get this. Michael Jordan's biggest loss of his career was against the New Jersey Nets in 2002 by 44 points at the age of 38 years and 333 days. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. And of course, he passed the all-time minutes played as well. So the records kept falling. Yeah, that's isn't that funny? That that's bizarre. The two, yeah. the, the two goats suffer their biggest loss by the same point differential the exact same day in terms of their age. I, I just could not believe that. That's almost like a statagami, Chewie. It well it kind of is. It kind of is. You We're coining new phrases ways. left, right, and center, hey? Trajecting we, and we st- absolutely are. <laughs> 
do you know what? I had a quick look. Trajecting on yourdictionary.com is technically the present particle of traject. So I'm claiming that. Yeah, no, I'm not that's, look on, that's bullshit. No, I'm no, not, no, no, no. I looked at. I'm not going to look on. I'm looking actually. <laughs> Miriam Merriam-Webster.com. Trajected, trajecting, trajects. There you go. Oh, Merriam-Webster. Okay, no, no, that's got kudos. Okay, okay. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Merriam uh, Corey Webster. Indeed. <laughs> Seems like the the perfect way to segue into the NBL. Yes, it does. And oh, there's no easy way to say this, but I don't know if you saw the story about Joel Foxwell, who decided to skip schoolies to play basketball. I dare say, given the recent Josh Giddy news, that was probably a very wise thing to do. I quote, I'd rather be here playing basketball. It's what I love. I want to be a professional. So whatever I've got to do, I'll do. I never went to schoolies when I graduated. My mum and dad took my then girlfriend and I down to a nice little resort down in, uh, in Bustleton for a few days. But from what I'm reading online, it seems like schoolies has kind of calmed down and the, the kids are actually not as rowdy as they used to be. Uh, it's because they've all been stuck in front of screens and they don't know how to interact with each other. A lot of hard <laughs> solos, apparently. Yeah, I missed most of schoolies too because I was living in Adelaide. I went to one day of schoolies in Adelaide because I was flying back to Perth the next day to see all you guys. So yeah, I saw one day of schoolies myself because by the time I'd got back, the Perth schoolies or the WA schoolies had already happened. So yeah, there you go. There you go. So I don't have much NBL, Stewie. I don't know about you, but obviously Damian Martin's getting his jersey retired. Six-time champ, six-time defensive player of the year, 2016 grand final MVP, and what a number he did in that. That was just an exceptional performance, just as much for his defense as for his offense and playing point guard. First team all NBL in 2011, second team 2013 and 14, and third team in 2012. Yeah, speaking of uh, numbers, there's not really many retired number 53s I can think of. I, I <laughs> guess Mark Eaton with Utah retired his number 53. I'm guessing Daryl Dawkins probably has his number retired. Well, maybe right. not. And I have to imagine Artis Gilmore would have had his 53 retired. Actually, no, 53 is not retired with Philadelphia. So Could have been New uh, Jersey so for Daryl. That's, ex that's exactly what I'm checking as we speak. Does not look like it. Oh, that's the New Jersey. Ah. Oh. Looking for the bloody New York Jets. I need the Brooklyn. This is the problem when you try and do these things live. But uh, there is no, there's a 52 for, I assume, Buck Williams and no 53. So I dare say it's probably Mark Eaton and Artis Gilmore would be the only two guys. There you go. There you go. Look, in terms of the NBL, the, the main thing I would say is that it kind of seems like the league is starting to take a little bit more of the shape we were expecting. Look, the Breakers are still struggling a little bit. They had a really strong win against Adelaide tonight. Apologies if you were going to watch that after this, Nate. Uh, trying to cut them a bit of slack because of the import turnover at the start of the season with the travel. Look at Cairns. Yeah, they're only one better in the, the lost column. But we're kind of seeing the cream at the top that we were expecting. You know, Melbourne United, Sydney, Tassie, Perth, Southeast Melbourne, and then the rest of the team sort of more towards the bottom. So I think the league's kind of where we were expecting. It took a little bit longer than we were expecting to get there, but... I think we're kind of where we were expecting to be. Yeah, obviously we had that FIBA break. I wish that had been timed a little bit differently, more around the World Cup. I wish they'd think about that. No, in all seriousness, so yeah, Wildcats, obviously, I think six in a row. Big, big clash with Sydney here in Perth. Hopefully avenge the the big loss we had in Sydney earlier in the season. So Just played look, better. The, the scores were a bit down. There's a lot of fouls. I found it harder to watch this season, if I'm honest. But uh, obviously, I'll still be watching and still be keeping track of things. By the way, Daryl Dawkins, I've just looked up his career numbers. 726 games. He played a lot of games, but 12.6 rebounds and 1.3 assists. So obviously, I guess 
was a big name because of his dunking and that sort of thing, but maybe maybe didn't deserve the jersey retirement. So there you go. No, that's that's fair. Mate, I've got two real quick things about the NBL. So firstly, I've I sort of mentioned it at the top. I'm actually really struggling with some of these games to figure out who the home team is. There was the Tasmania Cairns game, Jack McVeigh hit that walk-off triple. The court looked like it was being played in Illawarra because I'm so used to the Taipans having that really dark brown sort of pine outside the three-point line at least, whereas the whole court was just this, this almost white. It was so light, kind of like what you expect to see in Illawarra. So I'm not a big fan of that. I think they need to just keep the courts as similar as they can. And can we stop with the quirky jerseys? We had Looney Tunes round. We've now got DC Comics round. What relevance does this have to Australian basketball? Like, I'm all for the heritage round. I love those jerseys. I love the indigenous jerseys. But according to the league, it's, quote, to make history where legends meet legends and the court transforms into a universe of epic proportions. They didn't even get the bloody things right. Why would Tasmania not get Green Lantern, given the colours? And, like, Perth gets Adam Smasher instead of Wally West. That's way better. Bryce Cotton's <laughs> so fucking fast. Wally West is, like, one of the flashes, in case people don't know. And it has know. the word West in it. Like, seriously, call me before you do the next lot of this bullshit. I can make it work for you. But Didn't ugh. didn't the Phoenix get Green Lantern, though? They have green in their jersey, so that's all right. Oh, not enough, though. The whole bloody Tassie jersey is Yeah, green. yeah, yeah, true, true. Look, I, I didn't even... I wasn't even interested in superheroes when I was a kid. The best toy I ever had was a basketball, so I wasn't even interested in, in superheroes then. I couldn't give two shits, but it is for the kids. And it's an, let's face it, it's a, it's a way to make money. It's more sales. It's more Jersey. It's for the kids, Chewy. We're 40. It's not for us. Oh, and the big. It's for the kids and the big kids. It's not for us. Forget the kids. Meh. A <laughs> couple of other quick hits, Chewy. I believe you've got some stats there. Oh, just the one, really. It's just to do with the Wildcats winning streak. Something really crazy that I saw on Twitter. So last season, Perth was on a four-game winning streak going into Brisbane. They'd beaten New Zealand, Adelaide, Melbourne United, and Cairns. And then they went into Brisbane and got beaten. This year... We beat Adelaide, Melbourne United, New Zealand and Cairns, so the same four teams, and then go into Brisbane and actually beat them. So bit of a uh, yeah, bit of a kickback on those bullets who beat us last year. Ah, there you go. Speaking of the bullets, perfect segue for my next thing. Can we just talk about players commentating again? If you are going to get existing players to commentate, at least get some with a bit of energy and a bit of character in their voice. Like Dion Vasiljevic, Excellent player, had a shot at the NBA. This is no knock against him as a player. But for Christ's sake, monotone, you can't tell when he's excited or happy or anything. If you are talking in a very boring voice, I don't care what the fuck you're saying. You could be the most interesting person in the world. Oh, my man, Rocco Zakarski. That's about as excited as he got. Like, seriously, is this the best we have to offer? Enough of it, please. Uh, I have to say, yeah, that surely there has to be enough ex-NBL players that would be willing to give it a go. I mean, there are a number of guys in, well, if we're talking about Adelaide, because obviously DJ is playing with Adelaide right now. I mean, why not get someone like Brett Maher? He's a, a pretty charismatic sort of guy. I'm sure you could do a lot of good stuff with him. There, there has to be at least one or two guys from every franchise that you can do they've, something with. And They've already got a good stable of commentators. Why do they need to bring in these monotone, at times monosyllabic, like, I love Big Source, but all the rest of them don't inspire me at all. At all. I'd yeah, rather have two. Williams. He, Williams is the one that I thought of immediately. He's got yeah. a lot of charisma. He's happy the exception. To have him 
Yes, yeah. it will exactly pick guys with energy and charisma. And again, this isn't a knock on DJ. I bet he's a great guy. He's he's a very good player. He's had a great career, and I'm sure he'll continue to have a great career. But I, I'm not convinced he's the right man for the job in broadcasting. No, fair enough. A couple other things. Jacob Jacomas obviously got the ass. That happened a little while ago, but you and I haven't recorded for a little while too. So that's why I'm bringing that up now. I guess it doesn't come as a major surprise. Illawarra started really poorly and the coach is always the first one to go. Yeah, isn't it funny? The coach is always the one who gets the ass when they put together a roster like that. And then, of course, they win afterwards because the sacked coach bump always happens. Absolutely. Then the only other thing, Stewie, NBL has announced that the all-NBL team will be positionless. <sighs> yeah, look, <laughs> I yeah, I don't have much to say on that. I it, It's dumb. I think everyone outside of the NBL is in agreement with this. It is, it's stupid. It's already a league that's dominated by the point guards. It's just, it's pointless. I, I don't see any reason why you would do that. Uh, I've got no problem. I've heard a, a few people say, two smalls, two bigs, and one other, which even then I'm not a big fan of. Like, you've got guys that play multiple positions, make them eligible for multiple positions. I've got no problems with that. But, yeah, I just – why? Why do it? I think why you're right. Now? If, you made the t- if you made the team now, there'd probably be four guards. But the problem I have is the NBL making decisions on the run. I hate this mid-season decision-making. What Like, do it before the season or at the end of the season. Or maybe announce like through the media that you're thinking of changing it. And then you get an idea of what people actually think before you make that. I hate I hate this decision of making decisions mid-season. I don't like it at all. Do you know what's funny? I actually I actually hate the timing less than I hate the decision itself. I don't particularly like either, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. Anyway, enough angry men shouting at <laughs> Yes, yeah. We try not to be too negative with the NBL. I was a bit this week, so apologies. I calls it how's I sees it. It's fair enough. Or in the case of bad commentary, how I hears it. So, Stewie, obviously we had a massive cricket episode last week, or the majority of it was cricket. We had a little bit of other stuff, but mainly cricket. I guess you, unfortunately, weren't able to be a part of that because you were a crook. So you've had a chance to listen, albeit in the car. So at times you have to divert your concentration elsewhere but I, I don't know if you wanted to add anything else onto well I, I i think you'll agree the greatest world cup victory in australia's history oh absolutely and i will just quickly say no saying that there was basketball last week that was like a cricket cake with basketball frosting basically basically there's just a just a little hint of it around the edges but i, I love the fact that you put some in at the end it was good absolutely the best and the reason is pretty simple I know that you and I kind of differed a little bit. I was going in and I I can say this wholeheartedly. I had very, very little hope that we would even be competitive in that game, let alone win, regardless of the fact that India were kind of due a loss or whatever it happened to be. So it wasn't just, just the power think, of negative thinking, Shui? No, no. And I honestly, I mean that. Like I was, I was being negative, hoping that it would do something, but I didn't honestly believe that there was a world where we would be competitive with a team that had just steamrolled the competition up to that point. And uh, I guess, yeah, we, we really set the tone early with the fielding, the way that guys were diving around, saving boundaries early. I, I think, look, we bowled well, but I think the biggest thing was, yeah, definitely. And it was brought up by you guys. The, the intent that the Indian batters showed in those middle overs just wasn't really close to enough. And, 
So yeah, it was, I guess, for an Indian point of view, obviously very, very disappointing to play so well throughout the entire tournament and then just serve that up at the last stage. It's not great, but look, obviously as an Aussie fan, incredibly exciting to, yeah, just piece together what was probably the perfect game really as far as we're concerned. Yeah, just just incredible. Honestly, you couldn't ask for much better than that. I mean, obviously a little bit wobbly at the start of the batting. I think once the guys realized that the run rate wasn't out of control and they could just kind of do their thing. But yeah, Travis Head, I mean, one of the, the greatest knocks, probably up there with Adam Gilchrist in terms of the one that we saw in the West Indies. But I think probably slightly better in terms of going into the game as an underdog. Whereas, you know, the 07, 03, we were expecting to win that. 2015, we were expecting to win that. I don't really remember watching the earlier ones. Don't even remember watching the final, that one that we beat South Africa. It was 99. So, yeah, I don't know. Just an amazing experience to watch that and just still in shock, really. So I will just clarify that. I remember very vividly watching the semi-final against South Africa with my dad in 99, but I have very few recollections of the actual final itself. Fair enough. Yeah, well, we were in year 11. I can't remember what time of the night it was, but uh, yeah, I, I do remember thoroughly enjoying uh, those victories. Listen to this. ODIs, T20s and Champs trophies. So the three, I guess, major silverware in the short form. Australia, 10. The next best is Windies and India with five. And then it drops off quick. Pakistan, Sri Lanka, England, three. New Zealand, two. South Africa, one. So that leads me to my question, which of the ones that we kind of talked about were potential chokes that do you agree with our assessment of of those games? So we talked about the Pakistan, India. We talked about Afghanistan, Australia. And we talked about South Africa, Australia semifinal. And we talked about the tournament as a whole. Do you think India choked the tournament? Maybe we'll start there. Right. Let's go through them one by one as you've listed them. I I think if we look at the India-Pakistan, I I think that was a massive choke. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They were fairly in control and obviously just lost wickets in massive clumps. So I think that one was a fairly big choke. I think the Australia-Afghanistan one was a bigger choke than you guys are giving it credit for, just purely because obviously that game purely comes down to Glenn Maxwell's knock that doesn't happen. What well, I can't remember who it was that dropped in. Was it Hazmat or whatever the bloody Hazmat suit guy? I can't remember either, but I think he was in... Well, he was dropped twice from memory, but I think he was dropped on 33. That was the dolly kind of that third man or wherever it was. I don't know it was slip, but it was, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was like a, a leg slip. Oh, uh, abs- like absolute a, gift. Absolute gift. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe a leg gully, but yeah, uh, it, was, it was back a little bit. And look, for me... That's why it's such a choke because you get rid of Maxwell, the game's over and there's every possibility that Afghanistan could make the semifinals from there. So for me, I think that's a much bigger choke than you guys gave that credit for. Uh, But look, regardless, amazing, amazing tournament from the Afghans. And, you know, hopefully they continue to grow that sport in that country and, and yeah, just keep doing great things. The semifinal, do you know what? The semifinal to me actually had a lot of similarities to the 07 semifinal against South Africa where we kind of blinked. And in fact, we missed the first wicket. I think Graham Smith got bowled by Nathan Bracken in the first over while we were still coming into the ground. And before we knew it, I think they were five for 31 at one stage, managed to just nurdle their way around to get to 149. I think Justin Kemp had a 54 in that game. And realistically, Australia kind of cruised to victory in that one. I think Adam Gilchrist was out in the first over to Charles Langeveld. 
but other than that, it was a, an absolute cakewalk. And I think it kind of, certainly the first half of the game felt a little bit like that. As South Africa started bowling, I kind of felt like they were very much in it. They, you know, took some timely wickets. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it did look a little bit dicey at one stage. And obviously when you're having the, the bowlers doing the, you know, the rest of the the runs at the end, it was it was a bit dodgy. I think um Inglis had quite a, a nice little knock in that, which was which was very timely. But yeah, it's it's hard to know. I mean, as you say, those one-off elimination games, look, South Africa doesn't have a great history of doing well in them. So I don't think they choked quite as badly as they have in previous tournaments, but it I don't know. It doesn't look great, does it? It was just a funny old match, and, and the momentum swung so many times. It, look, the low scoring, it was for the purest, but it was an absolute minefield of a pitch. It was turning. Both spin bowlers looked dangerous. Shamsi and, and Maharaj looked like if they could have bowled another four or five overs each, I, I don't know if we would have got through it. Oh, and even their part-timers looked good. I, I think the four drop catches, to me, kind of meant that it was a little bit choky, even though, admittedly, they didn't have a lot of runs on the board to play with. The fact that they were a bit shit in the field. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying to Woody. Like, How much of Australia's dominance just comes down to the fact that we don't crumble under the bright lights of finals? Do you know what I mean? It, it almost seems that yep. simple. It's in the DNA a little bit maybe, but yeah, it's interesting. No, it absolutely is. You know, If you look at, I guess, the, the game plan that we executed in the final and you know, to a lesser extent in the semifinal, especially in the bowling, yeah, we just, we came out, we had a plan, we executed it really well. I mean, execution is obviously incredibly important. You can have a plan, but if you don't execute it, well, it doesn't mean anything. But yeah, I mean, we saw certainly in the final, as I've sort of alluded to before, it kind of looked like India played a very, very different game to how they'd been playing through the entire tournament. They had very, very attacking teams that were constantly looking to score big runs, you know, I put that stat to you about Kale Rahul's strike rate. Obviously, if you're going to chew up a third of the deliveries, you can't really get out for 66. You, you need to be able to go on from that point and make a big ton, which he didn't do. Uh, I guess losing Hardik Pandya was a, a really, really big loss to them. Someone in that middle order who can easily put down 60 or 70 off 30, 35. That's that's obviously something that they missed in that final. And I think Woody alluded to the fact that they basically went in with four number 11s. The the bottom order or the lower order for India wasn't particularly great. So, yeah, there's, I don't know, there were a lot of things that kind of transpired against them. But, yeah, I think they really set up the wrong pitch. They really would have been much better off putting a big flat track on, go in there, make 380, 390 and say, right, good luck to you. Did you see the photo of Mitch Marsh with his feet up on the trophy? Yep. Did you see that a bloke called Pandit Keshav filed an official complaint against him and forwarded yep. the complaint to Prime Minister Modi, urging that Marsh should not be allowed to play cricket in India again? Yeah, he's a fucking loser for it, quite frankly. Yeah, that's like, seems like the punishment fits the crime there. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I, actually, one of the things that I did want to talk to you about what did you make of them actually having the final in Ahmedabad rather than in like Mumbai or Delhi? Well, I guess obviously the giant stadium was one of the things, but uh, yes, I think if they had their time over again, they probably would have liked to have played it in Mumbai. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've been to both places. Uh, look, Ahmedabad is, uh, it's, I don't know. It's not the, 
it's not the most developed place I've ever been to. Let's let's put it lightly. Um, it's you know it's certainly there there are parts of it that are incredibly nice. There's obviously incredibly large slums there, as there are in other parts as well. But yeah, I don't know. I just for me, that maybe the fact that the the stadium's named after the prime minister. I don't know. Someone can maybe help me out with that. But for me, it just seemed just seemed crazy. Like, why would you not just put that at, in Mumbai? I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter, Shui. They're hosting in 2031. They get to host every second. Like, they'll, they'll keep having it. They can just put it somewhere else next time anyway. Well, look, hopefully they, they get it right next time. I don't know. I mean, I guess the one positive is that the next one's in South Africa. They haven't hosted one in a while, not since 99. Can't imagine the West Indies will get one anytime soon. I would like to see the next one. And, and I actually, I did forget about this. We were talking about this off air a little while back and we were sort of saying, oh, it'd be nice if the Netherlands would get some games. I actually forgot they had games in the last World Cup. Oh, there you go. I forgot that too. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's one of these ones where if you're lumping Australia, New Zealand together and the UK, Ireland, the Netherlands together, and then I guess India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and then I guess you got to look at other ones like Bangladesh. There's probably not going to be games played in Afghanistan anytime soon, but uh, it might be one of these ones where it rotates a little bit more more quickly than it was in previous years. Anyway, they'll get another chance to change the final, as I say. While we're on kind of faux controversy with the Mitch Marsh trophy thing, I noticed they all sang the national anthem very heartily at the beginning as a bit of a probably a stick to that Australian journalist trying to create mountains out of molehills. Yep. Some blokes just don't want to sing the fucking anthem. That's not news. I see the Gabbers being demolished after the 2025 Ashes as part of a rebuilt East Bank precinct. That'll be interesting. I didn't see that. So they're completely demolishing the stadium. Interesting. I mean, look, I did mention this on a previous episode when I was in Brisbane. I saw the Gabba. It looks so out of place right in the middle of a suburb. There's not really any space either side. You know, one of the things I love about the MCG and also Optus Stadium over here is that big expanse around it where you can kind of hang around. There's not really, there's one side of the stadium at the Gabba that kind of has a bit of space for that. It just, I don't know, doesn't seem right. It just kind of looks like they've picked a spot and just dumped it in the middle. Whereas other spots, it just does seem to make a bit more sense. Yeah, well, I wonder if these plans maybe integrate that a little bit better. They, I would imagine they probably do. I don't know if you've watched any of these T20s, Stewie, but the Dorf, as we talked about last week, Woody and I, it's nice for these guys that can't crack the first 11 to get to play in these other, I guess, less meaningful games, but they're still internationals. In a match that had 447 runs conceded, the Dorf, Jason Berendorf, only conceded 12 runs. And, of course, Glenn Maxwell had a big knock too, but uh, India up 2-1 in that series, but really... I'm not following it very closely. I've watched a lot of cricket lately. I'm ready to move into the NBA and NBL and focus on some basketball until those tests start down here. Absolutely. And look, it's great that Maxi was able to come up with that big century considering he gave up 30 off his last over or yes, the last true. over. Yes, of, yes. Yeah, last <laughs> over of India's innings. Look, it's been kind of fun to watch. Obviously, high scoring, lots of sixes and fours. But yeah, at the same time, it means a little bit to the rankings. But I mean, yeah, I don't really don't really care too much. I've just kind of been watching the condensed nine-minute highlight packages of them just to kind of see what happened, and that's about it, really. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Now, I thought I forgot at the top. Let's mention it here. Oscar Pistorius got parole after only 10 years. Oh, geez, I'll tell you what. He's, uh, 
He's done very well for himself, hasn't he? Yeah, that's a pretty cushy sentence. House arrest for 10 years for committing murder. Yeah, mm. I would consider that very lucky indeed. Very lucky. Any chance you reckon we'll see him back out on the track? Oh, he'd be too old now, surely. Jeez, mm. wouldn't that be controversy? <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so final thoughts. Fuck you, Oscar. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.